You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Thank you, boys. I appreciate that. We are on the winning side. Read the end of the book. We win. Well, Jesus wins. That's why it's important you're on his side. In all seriousness, though, how many of you feel right now like you're losing? It's been that kind of a year. As a pastor, when you sit up here, and I'm sure Brother Rusty can even attest now, sitting up here, Brother Danny as well, you look out and you see the faces. And you see the looks. You see the hearts that are heavy. And uh, I knew I was going to preach this message for a couple weeks, continuing a series that we started a couple weeks ago, an invitation to dedication. Um, But when I looked out this morning, I saw a lot of heavy hearts. And I was praying, Lord, give give me a verse to encourage people before we get into the message. Because I'll be honest, this message is a meat and potatoes message. This is a message that is not easy to swallow. A lot of medicine is that way. Uh, And I I don't want to be a Mary Poppins preacher that's always putting a spoonful of sugar in it to make it easier to go down. Now, the Bible does say that we speak the truth in love, and I certainly will do so, uh, the Lord helping. Uh, But there are portions in Scripture that you get to that are tough to swallow, but when you swallow them, they'll help. They'll help you. Uh, I've been very sick before in the past, and the doctor comes up and gives me like a horse pill, and he says, you need to take it. You need to take it. Or it just tastes horrible, like, uh, like Robitussin or, or um, Theraflu. Theraflu is awful. Uh, and sometimes when you read the Bible, it, it, it cuts you coming and going, but it'll help you. Now, church, I know that there are many heavy hearts in here. I heard news just this morning, or I see faces, and I know I can list off the things that you have spoken to me about that are heavy on your hearts. And church, I don't mean this in an insensitive way, but we're soldiers, and this is a battle. And battles are not easy. And when we're wounded, that is the time when many of us start, as this verse says, and this was the verse that the Lord said, why don't you use this one? Why don't you use this one? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. It is the times when we're wounded. It's the times when we're down. It's the times when people who we thought were on our side have shown themselves not to be on our side. People who we hoped would be on our side are not on our side. Family that we have always looked to to be supportive is suddenly not supportive anymore. Family and friends who always used to be there for you, but now that you want to live for the Lord, suddenly they're not with you anymore. And that's the time when it's easy to waver. But my Bible says let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. It doesn't even talk about letting our faith fall. It says don't even let it shake. For he is faithful that promised. Two weeks ago, we looked into this passage. Again, a message called an invitation to dedication. Every believer should desire to live a dedicated life for Christ. There is no such thing as an undedicated Christian. 
There are plenty of undedicated believers, but there are no undedicated Christians. To be dedicated is what it means to be a Christian. We can only be called a Christian when we are dedicated to Christ. And in order to be dedicated, how we talked about it was there are spiritual truths that we must carry with us every day. And the first truth that we see in this passage is the truth of continuation. Look in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Every morning that the Lord allows us to wake up, we should desire to draw nearer to him. Nearer today than we were yesterday and nearer tomorrow than we are today. Not just in word, but in action. Not just in mind, but also in heart. And not in hypocrisy, but with a true heart. We don't draw near to him in fear, but in faith that it is God's will for us to be close to him. That it is his will for every believer to draw nearer and nearer to him. But hear me this morning, and I'm looking out, and I, I, for the most part, recognize everybody. If you were to ask me, I would confidently say, I, be, I would believe the majority of people here know Jesus as their Savior. But even so, hear me this morning. You may have the best intentions. You may have the utmost desire. You may be very sincere in your efforts. You may exert much energy to draw near to God. But without Jesus, you will never draw near to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If anybody will ever enter into the presence of God, you must come through Jesus and through Jesus alone. Because sin has created a chasm between you and God that no amount of religion or good deeds or philosophy or opinion will ever be able to reach across. Only the nail-pierced hand of Jesus is powerful enough and loving enough and willing enough to reach up and grab a holy God and reach down and grab a sinful man and bring them together. And only a person with the mind of a fool and the heart of stone can look at a crucified Jesus and say, I don't need you. I will draw near to God in my own way. No, sir, no, ma'am, you will not. If you are going to come near to God, you must come with your heart sprinkled with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And there's no greater day in your life when you come to a head-on collision with the Holy Spirit of God and he convinces you that you are a sinner and you are on your way to hell and unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will burn for all of eternity. And when you come to that point in your life, when you ask Jesus to save you, he cannot and he will not refuse you. He will save you from your sin and at that moment, you will know what it means to be able to draw near to God. If you're here this morning saying, I don't know that I'm going to heaven, or I think I'm going to heaven, or I hope I'm going to heaven, you don't have the salvation that Jesus teaches and that this Bible talks about. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. It doesn't say for whosoever shall be baptized. It doesn't say for whosoever shall go to church, although I'm glad you're here. It doesn't say for whosoever shall give to charity, for whosoever shall be a kind person, for whosoever shall call. 
Because you can't call on him on whom you have not believed. But how shall they believe on him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And that's where we come in. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And at the end of the message, you're going to have an opportunity to let us show you from the Bible how you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. Do not leave here without knowing for sure that Jesus is your Savior. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Remember, that's not talking about baptism. That's talking about living a holy life. Believer, there should be something different about you. There should be something different about how you act. There should be something different about how you speak. There should be something different about how you dress. There should be something different about what entertains your mind. There should be something different about what brings satisfaction to your soul. You should want satisfaction of your soul rather than satisfaction of your flesh. And God certainly invites us to draw near to him for salvation, but then we should continue. We should continue to draw near to him in what, what we refer to as sanctification. Salvation is a one-time belief of the heart that never has to be done again. Sanctification is a daily decision that I am going to choose living for Jesus over living for self and for sin. Now, if you still choose to live for self, as a saved person, will you still go to heaven? Yes, you will. But you will not be a Christian. You will not be a disciple. You will not be dedicated. God has sprinkled the hearts of every believer with the blood of his own son. It is our reasonable service to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And if we would live dedicated we have to carry with us the truth of continuation. That's what we looked at a couple weeks ago. Now, leading into the message for today in verse 23, why do many believers fail to continue in their journey of faith? Why do many, why do many fail? Why do many turn away from God over time? or justify just maintaining their relationship with God over time, rather than continuing to draw near to him. Why does that happen? Well, it's because the path of continuation is not an easy path. It is easy to turn away from the Lord, especially when the world welcomes you with open arms. It is easy to settle into a comfort zone and justify the quote-unquote gray areas of the Bible, rather than seeking to do and to learn and to teach what the Bible says. If dedication was easy, everybody would be dedicated. But it's a path of sacrifice. You can live in a path of service and not be dedicated. Isn't that what happened with Martha? Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Martha was a servant. It's who she was. She was good at it. But Martha, one thing is needful. Why don't you sit down for a little bit and listen to what I have to say? Mary hath chosen that good part. A life of dedication is a life of sacrifice. A path of dedication is lined with enemies. 
And as we talked about at the beginning, enemies that you never thought were going to be your enemies. What does David say at one point in his psalm? It wasn't an enemy that came, else I would have borne it. It was a man, mine equal. He even talks about his brethren. Even Jesus' family at one point came up to him thinking he was beside himself. And they said, your, your mother and your brethren are outside. Now think about this. They're, his mother and his brethren think that he's beside himself. And so his disciples come up and say, your mother and your brothers are outside thinking that you've gone crazy. And Jesus' response is, who is my mother and my brethren? And they're thinking, it's worse than we thought. <laughs> but he says, behold, my mother and my brethren, those who hear my words and do them. It's a path lined with enemies. James and John, Jesus called the sons of thunder. Because I think when they told Zebedee, Dad, we're done with the fishing thing, and we're going to be fishers of men. I think Zebedee threw a Zebedee. And Jesus called them the sons of thunder. It's a path that's narrow and straight. According to our flesh, it's an inconvenient path. It's a selfless path. It's a path where we cannot walk by sight. We, we must walk by faith. Now, what is faith? We'll just turn over one page in your Bible and look at chapter 11, verse 1. And let's go ahead and read that together, shall we? Chapter 11, verse 1. I see some of you mouthing it already. Ready, begin. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Stop, Lord, that makes no sense. You cannot hold hope in your hand. There is no substance to hope. If you have not seen something, it is not evidence. Imagine standing before, now I'm not disagreeing with the Bible, just hang on a second, follow me. Imagine standing in front of a judge and giving a testimony under oath, I know that Ian killed Riley. And the judge asked, do you have any evidence to support your accusation? Nope. Okay, well at least tell us what you saw. Oh, I didn't see anything. What is that judge going to say? You have no evidence whatsoever. Man says that sight is the only thing that counts as evidence. Well, what about hope? Hope is the expectation of future good. Perhaps you hope to receive your college diploma one day. Perhaps you hope to receive a raise someday. Perhaps you hope to have a child one day. Well, man says that your hope will only be satisfied when you see that diploma on your wall, or when you see that raise in your bank account, or when you see that child sleeping in his crib. But God says we walk by faith and not by sight. Man says, don't live by hope, live by substance. Isn't a bird in the hand worth two in the bush? Don't live by hope, you live by substance. Man says, there is no evidence unless you see it with your own eyes. What did Thomas say? Except I shall see, I will not believe. But God says, the just shall live by faith. To God, faith is more powerful than sight because faith is the only thing that enables you to hold in your hand what we are still hoping for. Faith is the only thing that enables you to claim as evidence what you have not physically seen. 
And man says, for instance, man says that the earth came through billions of years of evolution because that's what science tells them. Now, they believe science because science is observable. So I believe something that isn't observable. But Hebrews 11.6 says, um, I'm sorry, not 11.6, 11.3. Uh, faith, we understand that the, words, that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So you cannot convince me otherwise. I do not believe, and I will never believe, that on one random day, billions of years ago, order came out of chaos all on its own. I will not believe that one day an amoeba just sprouted legs and started walking up on the shore, and then one day it decided, you know what, I'm not going to use these front two anymore for walking. I'm just going to start walking on my back two. And then one day it started growing hair and saying, I want to climb up in the trees and start swinging from branch to branch. But then one day it falls and its tail breaks off. And then he keeps on walking. And over billions of years, he picks up a briefcase and starts teaching at MIT. I do not believe that. And I will never believe that. Now, I've heard some of the professors at MIT. And that is about the greatest argument you have for the theory of evolution. But no, I will not believe that. And you may say, but science has shown. I don't care. You may say, experiments have implied. Doesn't matter to me. You may say, but we have observed. You will not convince me. Now, people may say that's foolish. And people may look at me and say that's being stubborn or that's being closed-minded. How can you be so sure that God made the world when you didn't see it happen? Well, it's very simple, actually. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's enough for me. The Bible says it. It's true. And then you accept it by faith, and then you build your life off of that faith. Many say it's foolish to trust your eternal soul to a God that you cannot see. How can you be convinced that an invisible God will save you? Well, my Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. Many say it's ridiculous to live your life for an eternity that you cannot see. It's nonsensical to live by faith when you can live by sight. How can you be convinced that living by faith isn't going to be a waste of time? Because my Bible says in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So you cannot convince me otherwise. And here's the message in a nutshell here. If we will ever hope to continue to draw near to God, and if we will do so in holiness and with a true heart, we are going to need some convictions. We are going to need to see what the Bible says and say, I have faith that what the Bible says is true, and I am going to build convictions in my life off of that faith that no man will be able to shake or we will never be able to continue. These convictions do not come by sight or by the opinion of man, but by faith in the word of God. And the reason why many believers fail to continue to draw near to God is because they fail to see the importance of having Bible convictions. God should be able to speak to us through his word, and without questioning in the present and without wavering in the future, we should say, if that is what God's word says, then it is the truth, and by God's grace, I will live my life according to that truth. 
Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. These Hebrews here that we're being written to were facing great persecution. There were enemies without as well as enemies within who were constantly attacking them because of their faith. Faith in God's word has always brought attack. And they are facing attacks from without through verbal and even physical abuse. And then they're also facing attacks from within through something called false doctrine. These people that we call the Judaizers, that history calls the Judaizers, uh, who, who taught that you must believe in Jesus and also obey the law of Moses in order to be saved from sin. And these people offered very compelling arguments. They were good at what they did. These people had the nerve to teach a gospel that was different than the gospel that Jesus taught. These people based their convictions on the opinion of man rather than the truth of God. These people seem to have the sole desire to undo with doubt what these Hebrews had began in faith. And this is why God tells them in this letter, hold fast the profession of your faith. Church life is hard, especially life as a Christian. You know why? Because it is the devil's job to shake your faith loose. That is his job. And he's good at his job. He has fiery darts to help him accomplish that job, and he doesn't miss a target. That's his job to shake your faith loose. It is your job to hold fast without wavering. It's the devil's job to lie. It's our job to search the Bible for the truth and base our life in faith upon those truths. The Bible says wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Pastor, do you drink? No. No, I do not. Because the Bible tells me it's wrong and therefore I am convinced that it is wrong. That is a Bible conviction. That is not a preference. The biggest argument that I've heard is the only people in the Bible that God has said do not drink is kings and priests. Read Revelation 1. He has made you kings and priests. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Pastor, do you believe that we can work our way to heaven? No, I do not. Because God tells me salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. And therefore, I am convinced that this is true. This is a Bible conviction. The Bible says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. His wife. And they shall be one flesh. Pastor, do you believe that the LGBTQRSTUV community is sinful? Yes. Yes, I do. Because God tells me it's an abomination, and I am convinced that this is true. This is a Bible conviction. The Bible says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Why are we watching TV shows and movies that we never used to watch before? Well, it's rated PG-13. Oh. Do you have a lot of used-tos in your life? Do you have a lot of 
things that you used to hold fast to, but the devil has shaken loose? Because you got tired of fighting? You know who you need to be like? What's his name? Ooh, what's his name? Eliezer. His hand clave unto the sword. You can have my convictions when you pry them from my cold, dead fingers. And the Lord wrought a great victory, is what the Bible says about Eliezer. The Bible says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? People come up and they say, Show me a verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not smoke. There's not one in there. But how about what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Pastor, do you believe it's wrong to deliberately bring damage to your body through what we do and what we eat and what we drink and what we ingest? Yes, I do. If we cannot do things with our body that do not bring glory to God, we are not supposed to do them. So when I eat bacon, I eat it to the glory of God. Now, sir, I love bacon as much as the next person loves bacon, but if all you eat is bacon and you're 600 pounds and you can't do what the Lord has called you to do, there's a problem there. Well, show me a verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not eat bacon. 1 Corinthians 6.19. Whether therefore, ye, or how about 1 Corinthians 10.31? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, can you do it to the glory of God? told the Sunday school this morning there was a preacher where somebody went up to the preacher and said, will smoking send me to hell? He said, show me a verse in the Bible that says smoking will send me to hell. And he says, I can't show you a verse in the Bible that says smoking will send you to hell, but it will make you smell as if you've already been there. <laughs> that is a Bible conviction. Stay with me. The Bible says women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now, if you want to find a quiet church, find a preacher preaching on money or dress. Now, ladies, let me preface this. I do not envy you. I thank God often that I am a man. Thank you, Brother Dusty. Men do not have to fight the battles with modesty that you have to fight. But even so, I know that it is a fight. And it's so much of a fight that pastors won't even touch the matter with a 10-foot pole. But it must be addressed, and no pun intended, um, with, lo <laughs> with love and with care, but it must be addressed. Ladies, when I see my Bible, I see that ladies are not supposed to wear clothing that brings attention to their body. Every lady's body should be sacred to God and secret to her husband. And you should write that down. It should be sacred to, sacred to God and secret to her husband. And when I study throughout my Bible, my Bible teaches that ladies should not wear, or should wear clothing, rather. Ladies should wear clothing that, number one, covers their nakedness. And men, that is for you as well. I have never seen more men just willing to parade around wearing no clothes. We are becoming a sight-driven society. 
I would be more clear if there weren't children in the room or teenagers in the room, but you know what I'm saying. Ladies should wear clothing that covers their nakedness. Ladies should wear clothing that separates them from the world. And number three, that identifies them as a woman. The argument is that a pair of pants cover the body. And I will say this, I have seen ladies, when it comes to coverage, cover more of their body than ladies in skirts. Modesty is not just wearing a skirt or a dress. In fact, modesty is more than just what you wear. It's a matter of the heart. However, I do not believe that pants separate you from the world. And I do not believe that they identify you as a lady. Now tell me why a lady cannot wear a modest dress or a skirt in the workplace or school or the world without somebody approaching her and asking why. A lot of ladies dress to make men approach them. But when a lady dresses modestly, men approach them anyway. Not because he is attracted to your body, but because he is attracted to your character. Now, why do they approach you? We have a sweet teenager right now who's going through driver's ed, and she's wearing skirts. And people are coming up. The boys are coming up. You haven't just worn it once, you wear it every day. Why do you do that? Now, I don't know her answer, but I know the young lady, and I know what she believes. Why do they do that? The devil is going to come and say, well, it's because they think you're frumpy, and it's because they think you're weird, or it's because they think you're old-fashioned. But ladies, you can take it or leave it. But from a man, and I believe I'm going to get support from the other men here, God has designed people, especially men, to respect a woman when she respects and protects herself. And when we talk about Song of Solomon tonight, I will show that. She comes out to say, the bride comes out to say, the thing that attracted my husband to me was I was a wall and not a door. There is blessing and there is protection when both men and women dress biblically. Now, God is not asking ladies to wear potato sacks. And that's also where we are wrong. We are supposed to take the truth and not deviate to the right or the left, or the left or the right. When you read Proverbs 31, that virtuous woman, she is clothed in silk and purple. That is, that is clothing that only royalty wore. Ladies, God sees you as something incredibly precious. He sees your price far above rubies. And there is one thing I know for sure. This trend in ladies' clothing becoming more tight and revealing and sensual is not of God. And it is not meant to protect the value that the Lord has placed upon a woman. The morality of this world is determined by the women. The morality of your home, ladies, is going to be determined by you. Sir, maybe you determine the direction of your home, but your wife determines the morality of the home. And we are witnessing an all-out attack of the devil upon women because he knows if he can change the convictions of the women, he can change the convictions of the world. 
But that is the devil's job. That is why we are told to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering because the devil is going to do everything he can to get us to doubt Bible-based faith and the convictions that are built upon that faith. What is the first question that the devil asked? Yea, hath God said? Did he really mean that? Is God really that black and white, or can that be considered a gray area? Is that a rule, or is that more a suggestion? Is church really that important? Is it wrong to drink, or is it just wrong to be drunk? Is tith isn't tithing an Old Testament law? Explain to me how Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek before the law was ever given. Isn't the word modest subject to interpretation? Is that really a conviction or is that more of a preference? But church, I told you, we're not talking about being saved. We're talking about living a dedicated life. A, and a dedicated life means I am his and his alone. If we will draw near to God continually, if we're going to be dedicated, we need to know what this Bible says and hold fast to it without turning to the right hand or to the left. Because there is a very real devil that will do whatever he can to shake our faith loose and change convictions into conjectures. And there's a lot of churches that are reeling right now because the argument is that convictions are no longer convictions they are conjectures. We are supposed to stand on our convictions. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't find somebody who might be weak in the faith and suddenly they're going to hell because they don't dress the way you do or because nobody has ever taught them what the Bible has says. We do speak the truth in love, but we speak the truth and we buy the truth and we sell it not. We're not Catholic. We don't excommunicate people from the church. If you have questions, we will answer those questions. So many people who come from other churches, I hear I had questions and they never answered my questions. What a shame. You know what made Martin Luther leave the Catholic Church? He always had questions and they would never answer them. And one day they made a mistake and they said, Luther, why don't you just go home and read your Bible? And he said, fine. And he read, the just shall live by his faith in Habakkuk. And then he read it two more times, the just shall live by faith. So then why is the Catholic Church teaching us that we need to live by works? Let me write out 95 things and go up to that church in Wittenberg and, and point in the face of the Pope and say, you are not a vicar of Christ you are a vicar of hell. You know what made that man do that? Arrogance? No. Pride? No. Just some good old-fashioned Bible convictions. And by the way, it's not old-fashioned if it's timeless. And truth is timeless. And Christian, we just need some timeless, we just need some timeless beliefs. We're soldiers. Bound for glory. Soldiers just going home. But if we're going to win this battle, why are we going to change the tactics that worked for Moses 
and Joshua and our Savior and his apostles? Why would we change? We have been called out of the world to live differently than the world so that we can reach the world. Can I tell you a story about dress? There were girls. We were going to Cascade Mountain. Does anyone know where Cascade Mountain is? I love Cascade Mountain. I would always tell myself to go down the Black Diamond Hill and I would get right over the edge and then I would crawl all the way back and go down the Bunny Hill. But there were girls who did not want to go to the ski trip because they needed to wear snow, snow pants. They don't make snow, snow culottes, right? They wore snow pants, and the church said, you need to wear some culottes over them. And the girls didn't want to do that. And there are many who stayed home because they said, we're, I don't understand how we're not being modest by wearing snow pants and we're covering ourselves. Why do we need to wear it? We're going to look ridiculous. But a handful of girls who are all still in the ministry today, a handful of girls said, that's what we're going to do. We love snowboarding, and we're going to go snowboarding. And they start going down these hills with their culottes flapping in the breeze. And there were a group of boys there, a group of boys that you knew were trouble. And they were going down the hill with, you know, their, they, one of them had a boom box, seriously going down the hill and they're saying, you know, they have their language and they were eyeing our girls the whole time. So, of course, us Baptist boys were like, let them just make a move. <laughs> you know, we'll show them. We'll crush them in Jesus' name. But they were eyeing our ladies. And those girls truly believed that they were mocking them. And one of those boys came up to a girl, her name was Tara Hall, and said, what are you wearing? And this is what she said. She said, you've never seen one of these? You've never seen one of these? These are all the rage in Europe. And the guy goes, we've all been talking. They're awesome. Where do we get some for our girlfriends? She says, here you go, modesty in motion. <laughs> but the devil comes up and makes you think that how you live and being peculiar, and that peculiar means weird. Christian, it's just being right. And when you're right in a world that is wrong, you will draw attention. And when you are shining your light in a world of darkness, you will draw attention. But think of all that God has done for you. We can stand for him. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And what brings that separation is Bible convictions. Now, as I said at the beginning, this is, not an all, this is not always an easy path to follow. The path of conviction is not always painless. It is never popular, but it is always possible. And here's why. He is faithful that promised. We can be faithful because he is faithful. A pastor said this, we can always hold fast to our profession because he is holding fast to us. 
I don't have time to go into it, but read 2 Timothy, how Timothy wanted to quit. But Paul said, Timothy, don't quit, for I am persuaded he will keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He said, what have we committed to God? Our soul. He is going to keep that which I have committed to him. And then he turns around to Timothy and says, you keep what God has committed to you. You know what that tells me, church? When God changes, we have permission to change. When Jesus fails, we have permission to falter. When the Holy Spirit lies, we have permission to question. But as long as God is faithful, we must be faithful. And as long as God's promises are true, we stand on those promises. We keep that which he has committed to us because he has promised to keep that which we have committed to him. God has promised to hold on to our souls. We determine we will hold fast to our profession without wavering. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.